the lessons from the fourth Sunday in Lent. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread, which gives life to the world, evermore give us this bread, that he may live in us, and we in him, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peacefully? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, for the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then sent out and went to Ramah. Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He revives my soul and guides me along right pathways for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, 
they comfort me. You spread a table before me in the presence of those who trouble me. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup is running over. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. Once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it's someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, 
We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind. And they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely into sins, and you are trying to teach us. And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into the world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do say may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. I have worn glasses since I was three years old. The story from my parents is that they learned I needed glasses when I became cross-eyed at three. I'm thinking that was probably a pretty good indicator. Anyhow, they took me to the doctor and I got a not-so-piratey eye patch to help strengthen the astigmatism in my right eye. A little skin-colored patch to go over my eye. And I've seen pictures. I have a bad haircut and an eye patch, and then glasses on top of that. Not great. So for most of my life, glasses have been a regular part of my existence. As a kid, I could see okay without my glasses. I just had some trouble reading. As I've gotten older, seeing clearly is now difficult without them. And I imagine as I age further, God willing, 
that my eyes will weaken more. It would be tragic to me to not be able to see anything. Nothing encourages my heart more than seeing God's creation around me. I was driving the other day in the midst of all of these things that are going on, and it was a particularly full day. It was, it was somewhat stressful. But as soon as I saw the beauty of the March sky, my attitude changed. It was beautiful. It was deep blue. The sun was going down in the sky, and there were a few clouds in the sky. They were gray, but the bottom of them was that beautiful red when the sun is just shining off of them. And there are other things that change my attitude, too. The daffodils and the tulips and other flowers that inaugurate spring's arrival at this time of year. The expanse of the wilderness or a mountaintop view. A true act of kindness and gestures of love and the smile on the face of someone that I love. What would it be like to be blind? To never in your life have ever seen anything ever to miss out on the deep blue sky on a cold winter's day to be unable to imagine the new green and the leaves as spring marches forward to see the waves of the ocean crashing or the snow lightly falling to watch the birds fighting for bird seed in a feeder to watch a young child curiously figure out some new thing in their life just messing it with their hands and putting it in their mouth to watch a child grow and mature, your own children grow up and change from that little kid that can't even walk to something really wonderful. To see the beauty of age worn by those who grow old. And what would it be like to be dependent on others and your other senses to navigate the world we live in? You know, the closest I've ever gotten to this is um, trying to navigate to the bathroom at night with no moon outside. I mean, it gets particularly dark here. In fact, I remember when my family moved from Southern California up to uh, Nevada City, that the first couple of weeks, it was too dark. I was used to lots of ambient light. We lived near a freeway. There were lots of street lights, and my parents moved where there wasn't a lot of light. The house we rented, not a lot of light. And I know that a lot of us can identify with this. But when you're navigating through the bathroom at night with no moon outside in a, in a town like we live in, I know what's happened to me is I feel around and look with my ears to see where I need to get to. And this usually works. One time, though, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was a bit disoriented and I ended up getting stuck in the corner in my room, literally stuck in the corner, not knowing where I was. I couldn't see a thing and a certain panic set in. I remember feeling the walls and trying to figure out, was there a door somewhere? But I figured it out. But what if you couldn't figure it out? What if there was no help to assist in navigating? How would you feel? Would you feel vulnerable? Would you feel scared? Would you feel frustrated? And what would you give to be able to see? What would you do to gain sight? How much would you pay and what would it be worth 
Would it be worth $10,000? $100,000? Would it be worth a million dollars? Now try and put yourself in the shoes, or maybe better, the sandals of the man born blind from the gospel reading this morning. He hasn't got much, not even enough hope to sit by the pool of Siloam like others who had infirmities who had hoped to be healed. He had just resigned himself to begging, didn't even ask Jesus to be healed. Jesus asked him. He just figured that the blindness was his lot in life, forever in the dark, reliant on the kindness of others for his livelihood, wondering if he would ever get what he needed each day, wondering how long this would go on, and the judgment. Remember, the disciples asked the question, that started this whole narrative off in the gospel reading. Did he sin? Did his parents sin? What went wrong? What did he do wrong? What did they do wrong? What would that be like if you were the man born blind? Maybe it would be like Job, whose own friends, in defense of God, asked Job to search his thoughts for what he had done to earn the devastation in his life. Maybe you might identify with this. I do. The eyes of others making judgment based on nothing other than their own guesses. Assuming that you must have done something wrong in order to have gotten to the place you are today. Judgment. No bueno. Not fun. I would feel hopeless if I were this guy. Again, I ask, what would you give to be able to see what would you give to be able to see the end of this mess we are currently in? To know how it all ends up. Is it going to be weeks? Is it going to be months? Or is it going to be a whole year? Can I still go camping this summer? Will the seniors in high school have a ceremony? When do we get to worship together again? Worship in person and shake hands at the peace or hug or give a kiss on the cheek. To share a meal together with friends. To share a drink together with friends. Will we be able to walk through Holy Week together? Or Pentecost? What would you give to be able to see that? Seeing is an important image, no pun intended, in the scriptures. A key factor in seeing is having enough light. Again, with my story of getting lost in my room, it was nighttime. It was really dark. And I wouldn't have gotten cornered in my own room in the daytime. And if I did, I'd have a bigger problem to deal with. Light would have been good. Even the flashlight on my iPhone would have been good to see that particular night. One of the things that helps us to navigate through life and not just the more worries, the worries sometimes, like we are in currently, is being able to see things clearly, to have the right light. From the Ephesians passage this morning, Paul says to us, Once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. This is our call. 
Being a Christian is about coming out of the darkness of life and into the light of the Lord. It means coming out of our own darkness and living in the darkness and living in the light. To not being darkness, but being light. It means a change in trust, perspective, and attitude. The psalmist addresses this in the ubiquitous psalm, Psalm 23. If the Lord is our shepherd, then it means we trust God. And if we trust God, then it means we shall not be in want. I like how this is translated in the message. It says, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. Do you feel like you don't need a thing? How's your toilet paper stash? Is the pantry full? Do you have gas in the car? Is your Netflix subscription up to date and paid up? But you and I know that this psalm is not talking about these things. It is David on the run and in distress asking for God to continue to be with him. It is about being in relationship with the Father. It is about seeing that God and his provisions for our life are the only thing we need. Like in the Beatitudes, when Jesus asked, why would we worry about what we are going to eat and drink? And what are we going to worry about or why are we going to worry about what we're going to wear? If you remember in that conversation, the Beatitudes, he points to two examples. He says, the birds of the air, they neither reap nor they sow, yet your heavenly Father provides for them. And the lilies of the field, are they not clothed in greater splendor than Solomon and all of his grandeur? And Jesus comes to the point. But seek first his kingdom, that is God's kingdom, and God's righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well, meaning the clothes and the food and those provisions, those things that we worry about. Well, what is God's kingdom? If we're to seek God's kingdom, what is it? It is the perspective that realizes God calls us to love him and others and trust that God will provide along the way. To seek God and his righteousness and to know that all these things will be added to you. And to understand that when the psalmist writes, he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters, it means that God will sustain us. At that, when he revives my soul and guides me along right pathways for his namesake, it means that God will restore us. And that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because... God is present with us, and he will comfort us. And when he prepares a table before us in the presence of trouble, he will both consecrate us and lavishly shower his love upon us. And because of this, because of these things, we come to the realization of God's goodness and that it will follow us everywhere, every day and at all times. But you have got to see it, got to believe it, and you've got to trust in God. And to see him, you've got to come out of the darkness and into the light, out of fear and into love, to realize what it is that sustains us and what it is that nourishes us.
But all that seems counterintuitive for some reason to us and to many people that I know. Kind of like when Jesus spit in some dirt to make mud and put it in the blind man's eyes and then told him to go to a pool, a certain pool, and wash. And then suddenly he could see. Now don't tell me when you read that story that that didn't seem odd. And don't tell me that that didn't seem odd to the hearers. I mean, his disciples were around him and there were others around him. But Jesus did it to show God's glory and not man's ways. That even the most silliest of directions from God is better than our most contrived plans. And that's the point. But you've got to be in the light for that. To understand what it is for the God of the universe to make his presence felt in your life. To show up right on time. To give us comfort when things are not as we would seem, or like them to seem, rather. And to know that it is God who has sent Jesus to have an abundant life, full, and to bless our socks off with the things that matter and ease our fears and give us courage, work through us supernaturally for his purposes. May you navigate this week well. May God bless you and your family. May his grace and mercy follow you, and may his peace sustain you.